Hey, May 40 here. Pretty shocking things going on in Beverly Hills. There was a shooting. Uh, three people were killed. Many more were injured. I mean, this, this never happens in, in Beverly Hills. Looking at this LA Times story, I'm trying to figure out what, what's going on. Three people killed, four wounded in the upscale neighborhood in the Benedict Canyon area of Los Angeles. gathering was going on at the time. We called it a gathering. They said they need to interview some of the people there to determine what kind of gathering it was. Apparently the attack was not random. Wow, this is really, really mysterious. I mean, this is... I'm just trying to see if I can put my finger on it. So looks like this was a short-term rental and a gathering at a party house. So I'm suspecting that the people who are gathering at this short-term rental, that they were not residents of the area. So... Maybe having short-term rentals in your neighborhood is not necessarily such a great thing. But I th what's most important here, yeah, I mean, the killings are, are tragic. You know, the, the deaths are, are tragic. You know, I, I, I think it's tragic. Absolutely tragic. But the most important thing is that we don't allow rent out, you know, party houses. We don't allow them to be racist, right? We can't allow racism in our short-term rentals, we can't allow racism anywhere. Racism and bigotry should be given no sanctuary in our society. So, yeah, it's sad that these people got shot. Sad that this safe community got disrupted. But at least Airbnb does not allow racism. And, and I think that's, that's the most important part of this story. We just can't allow racism in, in short-term rentals, in long-term rentals, in employment. Say no, please, to, to racism. Give, give bigotry no sanction. All right. If the point of affirmative action in policing, says Richard Hanania, is that even if the cops are less competent and make more mistakes, locals will care about less about cases like this. So how bad the riots here are will be a test of that theory. So far, it seems less than expected despite the media's efforts. So I dismissed the, the weather thing. But uh, apparently not a lot of rioting going on in January. January is cold, so it's much less fun for, for riots. Action SMUs. So do you think if it was five white cops in exactly the same situation, would we have... Would we have would we have this craziness? So 
should black communities be primarily policed by blacks and white communities by whites and Asian communities by Asians? And maybe that will give residents less a feeling of being picked on. So 1990s, New Orleans Police Department, right? They, they did all these progressive reforms, turned out to be an absolute disaster. How many complaints have been registered against these officers? So Norman Young says that Tyree Nichols thing won't last long in the national media. Tyree won't be canonized as a left-wing saint. Protests won't last through the weekend. Looting and rioting will be minimal. No one will smear blood on the officers' homes. This is the power of an all-black police force. So there's only one way to stop white liberals from believing that police are racist. You need an all-black police force. Nothing else will move the needle. Or do we really want... Affirmative action police officers. I mean, are there are there negative results to you know scraping the bottom of the barrel when it comes to police officers? So looking at comments at Steve Saylor, so we know that blacks in many other professions, law, medicine, except et cetera, are disproportionately sanctioned for misconduct, which confirms the notion of mismatch due to affirmative action. Does this also apply to law enforcement? So a few weeks ago, I read you this shocking story that California State Bar seems to go after black attorneys more. Also, black doctors have more charges. Action hires tend to get in serious trouble for screwing up just exactly as the bell curve would predict. So we have this press release from Indiana University. Black police officers disciplined disproportionately for misconduct. So black officers were more frequently disciplined for misconduct than white officers, despite an equal number of allegations being leveled. So this must be white racism. There are a higher proportion of valid allegations apparently being made against black cops, whereas white cops get besieged with more bogus allegations that don't stand up to investigation. So this is like black schoolboys get disciplined more than white schoolboys or Asian schoolgirls, which just shows you that uh, nice white lady school teachers must hate black boys. So a few weeks ago, I talked about New York Times story. Is New York Times is New York's child welfare system racist? So most of the supervisors, and most of the employees in New York's child welfare system are black, and yet, and yet, it sure seems that. There's a whole lot of racism going on. Uh, that's the only... Every day, the New York Times reads aloud a selection of stories. Like Great. that. Times Thank as likely you. as one of the city's own caseworkers think so too, according to a survey the city commissioned. ACS workers also said that for poor families, signs of poverty are often conflated with neglect, and that gets a lot of people put through these very intrusive child welfare investigations needlessly. Yeah, totally needless, over-policing. So New York's child welfare system, black families are seven times as likely as white families to be accused.
affirmative action, aggressive affirmative action is practiced most sweepingly for government jobs at all levels. At the city level, it affects the selection and promotion of police, prosecutors, public defenders, correctional officers, personnel in the social welfare bureaucracies, healthcare workers on the public payroll, and K through 12, kindergarten through 12th grade teachers in the public schools. So presence of incompetent or marginally competent people in those jobs is only occasionally important to members of America's upper middle class. Many of them live in places where affirmative action is not an issue because so few minorities live in their communities. But for those who live in multiracial cities, incompetent police and prosecutors can be a problem. You think? You think this could be right? Incompetent teachers driven many of them from the public schools. Whoa, there we go. The average IQ for European accountants is 111. For another minority group, the average IQ is 100. And then for another minority, and then for another minority group, which can't be mentioned, the average IQ is 104. So is that going to make much of a difference? For K through 12 teachers, the average European IQ is 110. For a sacred minority group, it's 95. For another minority group, it's 101. For registered nurses, the average European IQ is 109. For a sacred group, it's 94. For a less sacred but still minority group, it's 105. Social workers, 105 is the average European IQ, 95 for the sacred group, 93 for the less sacred minority group. Retail sales workers, 102 for Europeans, 89 for sacred group, 93 for less sacred group. Childcare workers, 102 for Europeans, 83 for sacred group. Average IQ, 85 for less sacred group. Secretaries and administrative assistants, 102 for Europeans. Average IQ is 90 for a sacred group, 93 for the less sacred group. Vehicle mechanics, 94 for Europeans, 83 for sacred group, 87 for less sacred group. Janitors, 92 for European, 79 for sacred group, 82 for less sacred group. So these cognitive differences apparently come with some pretty substantial differences in the quality of work. And here's uh, Mickey Kaus talking to Robert Wright. Speaking of uh, trans issues, uh, the some guy, and I think it was Dave Rubin, maybe not, somebody was claiming all the shadow banning is the product production of is the product of trans activists. In other words, think of who who gives you most strikes, who 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 tries to take down your tweet more often, who 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 gives you more like strikes for offensive content. A lot of that is generated by trans activists. It may be that they are the uh, the dark matter of the web, of dark matter of, dark matter of, of shadow banning as Twitter. They're the shadow of shadow banning. They're the unseen gravitational force that is in fact 
producing the bias against conservatives because they're giving people strikes right and left. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you should write this piece with the New York Times off-ed page. <laughs> um, By the way. They're opening up, aren't they? Maybe I not. I can't tell. Uh, they just actually appointed a brand new op-ed editor. Shipley's opening up at the Washington Post. Now, do you have a take on the on the people who I thought were they appointed? Were, well, the ones I knew. Ramesh Panduru. Ramesh is great. It's 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 weird. He's um, as I think that there was a time two years ago when he was the hottest columnist in America. He was ripping off like three great columns in a row, which is something that never happens. Uh, ripping off it, in the non pejorative sense. Yeah, and uh, and um, right. Uh, he was ripping. He was producing. Uh, and uh, and uh, Roy Teixeira is good an apostate uh, Democrat. He's still a Democrat, but he's mm -hmm. former co-author of. The emerging Democratic mm -hmm. majority now. We should say so, the so. The Washington Post announced like six new columnists or something. Right. That's what we're talking about. And who was the third one? The third one was a, no. There a was more than two. three. Amanda Ripley is one. Uh, yeah. She she wrote a book called I think High Conflict about how to have less conflict. I, I think right. I she's not. It. She's not the one on the right. She's no. She's I don't know. Yeah. Um, uh, I forget who the other person on the right was, but anyway, it was a good person. So I I approve. I thought it was, I thought it was a good good list. Mickey, I desperately need a last gulp of coffee. This is only going to take uh, fifteen seconds. And I'll, okay. Uh, um, Hey, I'm trying to run a professional show here. Anyway, I've got a great idea for a TV sitcom. So stay tuned for that. I'm going to be trying to figure out what we were talking about before I started talking about David Shipley. Come on, we guys. We talked about the New York Times. I, you were going to write a, I should write a piece for the New York Times. Uh, you were saying I should write a piece for the New York Times. about Oh, trans activists. There's yeah. another trans issue in the news, which is uh, some, woman, some poor woman was canceled from the uh, video game company she worked for, not because of anything she said, but because of who she followed. She followed too many people who are anti-trans and a trans activist agitated against her and got her fired from her job because of who she followed on Twitter. Was it both following them and making nice with them that was the offense? Or no, just I think it was the just following. following. Well, that's even no, crazier. She, 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 she followed them and she said something like, like she was looking forward to the new Harry Potter movie, which is that's inherently nice. Harry trans because J.K. Rowling is considered a persona non grata. Well, the whole video game world, uh, I don't know, is, is fraught. I mean, there's the whole uh, Gamergate thing, which I'm still not up to speed on. I think Gamergate is still going on. Is it? Uh, well, maybe uh, that's maybe that's this is backlash from that. Okay. Um, Gamergate is you, you remember? Oh, I'm going to try to explain Gamergate. Okay. Well, Hard it was do. it was uh, it was guys writing things about women who were I think either in the video game business or in the video game reviewing business or something that the women took as misogynistic or something, right? My impression is that they came out a, a bunch of women game a women game designer came out with like a non toxic video game maybe that didn't have you know people raping people. Killing. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. And, and there was a sort of concerted effort among uh, the uh, the uh, commentariat of the video game criticism industry to promote this game. Mm. And uh, the, the, there was a backlash among the, uh, you know, 85% male uh, video gaming community saying you can't voice this this uh, game designed by your friend, and I think girlfriend in one case, uh, on us. Fuck you. And it was, a, it was a precursor of Trumpism. It was basically a backlash by retrograde uh, elements. And in in this case, the retrograde elements won. They, it's a video game industry. They're eighty five percent of the people who buy them, so uh, they won. Okay, uh, I think that's what happened. Don't don't uh, cancel me if I got that wrong. Um, I won't personally cancel you, but I certainly encourage other people to. Now that reminds me, Mickey, um, that's something I said I would talk about. This Russians with attitude thread. So these are these Russian nationalist guys who are you know uh, sometimes endearing, uh, sometimes less so. But here's a, here's a series of tweets. I'm I'm just finding it now. That um, if I can find it now, uh, yeah, okay. Oh, guys, I'm trying to um, run a podcast. And basically, here. let me give you the, the the top line thing is that you realize these ethnic Russians within the Soviet Union uh, had a had a some of them had a grievance against other ethnicities in the Soviet Union. 
that they thought were getting special treatment. I mean, that, that's the that's the Trumpist kind of uh, sentiment. Now, let me uh, let's see. I mean, this guy started this out by saying this is going to get me. He, he says, I will now post some stuff that will offend a lot of people. That's the first thing <laughs> he says. I'm as anti-communist as they come. But I absolutely despise all the eat loser Eastern European ethnicities who by their sole existence supported Bolshevism. My grandmother built the first color TV in the USSR. My grandfather built the SU-27, which I think is a fighter. Uh, a bomber, maybe. Yeah, maybe. My family, and that of millions of average Soviet citizens, embodies all that was great in the USSR. And all the, quote, conscious minorities, unquote, from the Transcaucus to the Baltics, embody all that was bad. Leninist scum that switched to GAE, I don't know what that stands for, loyalism, as soon as they could. Uh, despite my grandmother being lead engineer on the first and only USSR color TV, my family could never afford one. And when my dad started working at the first McDonald's in Moscow, he earned more than his father, an accomplished engineer who built all the stuff to protect us from NATO. And then down the road, he posts a map of the Soviet Union where the regions are color-coded uh, by, uh, apparently there were these priority categories. Some regions got civilian supplies, I mean, some kinds of, of supplies or right. products or something, in priority over others. And what he shows is what it seems to show is that like the Baltic states and Caucasus and so on were ahead of the actual Russians, also ahead of the uh, the people in the far east. It looks like, but so there's this grievance, uh, Wait, and it, you, and Ukraine is one of the privileged. Ukraine is one of the privileged on this map. That's insane. Right? I thought they, I thought Stalin starved the Ukrainians to death. Uh, well, that was earlier. Um, you know, oh. and, and this guy, I've heard that this is one of the two guys who constantly Russians with attitude. I would guess he's what, maybe 40 or something. Uh, so, you know, his parents, his, his parents would be well after Stalin. And uh, um, you make a good point. But apparently, I, I didn't realize that 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 feeds, apparently, this has a history. And, but, and, and but how, how does that you know, are the are the East European ethnicities pro Ukraine? Is that is that so he's saying? OK, questions from the chat. Can you be a Jew in good standing and be uh, vegetarian? And it is really weird, all right? Jews are expected to eat from the, the sacrifices that were done at the temple. The, the whole Jewish dietary system it takes it for granted that you'll want to eat meat. So it's definitely weird. It's definitely not, not the ideal. And if you raise your kids, you know, vegetarian, you are you're making life difficult for them, right? Vegetarians are not very popular to host. So don't raise your kids vegetarian. If you can possibly help it, I, I think most people who are vegetarian would be better off eating some, some meat and some fish. So, yeah, it's just another Luke weirdness. But I am so weird in so many different ways that my weirdness in this area, along with not drinking alcohol, being a 56-year-old bachelor, uh, doing all these crazy live streams, you know, making all these crazy blog posts over decades, Right. never earning more than six figures. All right. I, I'm weird in so many different ways that this additional weirdness doesn't really add that much to the to the total. Anyway, I've got a thought of a wonderful sitcom idea. So let's suppose that you're a really smart guy and let's suppose that you got a lot of clarity in life and let's suppose that you're enraged by conspiracy theorists people peddling conspiracy theories because you see the world clearly. You're not going to go for that. And let's say you do, you know, live streams on a regular basis, you know, punching and breaking down conspiracy theories. And you, you go to synagogue and over lunch, you talk to someone who tells you that they believe in every conspiracy theory, that they believe that the CIA murdered John F. Kennedy 
and they believe that we never landed on the moon and they believe that the earth is flat and they're happy to email you 25 different videos proving that the earth is flat. All right. So someone that you regard as stupid and way below you, right? And, and you need a job. So you go to work for this conspiracy theorist, right? And this person who you regard as your moral inferior, as your cognitive inferior, as your social inferior, someone you think is stupid and a moron who is, you know, actively depreciating society and the pursuit of truth. And yet day in, day out, he is your boss. He's the one who gives you a salary and you seethe because you think you're so much smarter. But even though he believes in all these conspiracy theories and you don't, somehow he's far more effective at navigating real life than you are. Let's say he's married with children and he has employees, including you, and he earns well into the six figures, but he believes in conspiracy theories and you, the one who sees through the nonsense, you see through the BS, you don't buy into these bogus conspiracy theories, you are reduced to working for a conspiracy theorist and you sit there and see but you have to take orders and direction and a paycheck from a conspiracy theorist come on is that is that a good good sitcom is that the beginnings of a good sitcom is dubit in hiding i don't know the tyree killings already being blamed on systemic racism folks please keep comments glib and medley in nature what happened when luke was gone society still blamed the blog father and youtube underground king white privilege is the biggest conspiracy theory what did luke run out of crystal light i did not run out of crystal light i still had tons of crystal light when i left australia so i didn't have much room in my luggage because i was packing so much crystal light but i didn't didn't run out saying that they're quizzlings or if they're on board for the Ukraine war, then why is he so pissed off at them? Because they're on Ukraine's side. But I so I remember it was Otto Paul about two years ago who drew my attention that the Soviet Union was the affirmative action empire. And this is what these Russians with attitude dudes are talking about. In the lead with that. Are they? I mean, that's more insane. The communists, are on, the communists are on Ukraine's side? He said they were all Well, communists. the Eastern European countries like Poland are on, are on Ukraine's side, big time. Because they, okay. they, they, okay. they resent the Soviet oh, Union. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. But, but that, was, that was kind of the, not the lead. I should have started with the one where he's talking about the other ethnic groups within the Soviet Union proper. Apparently, there's a longstanding grievance against them for getting all the goods while the ethnic Russians did all the hard work. So it's like, uh -huh. the, it's like the backlash against affirmative action in America. Huh. Huh. Interesting. And, it, and, it, and it, fuel, it seems to fuel some of the antipathy toward Ukraine. So I forgot to take any, any recaller with me to Australia. So I was totally out of cough drops and I'm you know, used to having them as a comfort food. So I was in Australia for two and a half months or over two months before I finally broke down, bought some cough drops, but they weren't Ricola. I mean, they were just, uh. here they are. This is what I got. Like, this is what I substituted for Vicks Vapo Drops. I mean, these don't taste anything special. I mean, Ricolas are like candy. So yeah, I, I didn't take any any recallers? I took with me my my favorite gum. Uh, epic, like the epic um, spearmint sugarless. It's so good. It's like it's just a whole cleansing. Uh, but I ran out of epic really fast. At to 
had to make do with you know regular Aussie Aussie gum. Uh, conspiracy theories are luxury beliefs that don't necessarily affect your life. A belief like everyone is out to get you is more detrimental to your life than any regular conspiracy theorist. I got it. And is, are, are, are the ethnic Russians in this uh, story uh, pro-Putin? Uh, well, they were until he fucked up the war. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, they, they're, they're pro-victorious Putin. Right. Um, what does Nikita say about all this? Well, he's not, you know, he's the opposite. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's a cosmopolitan, Western-leaning uh, but would he say that there are Russians who actually feel this and it's an important, uh, important uh, under uh, sort of or truth about uh, Russian society? I don't know. I mean, I remember once at the beginning of the Ukraine war, when I asked him with, about Russians with attitude, he said he, he kind of followed them for a while. But as I recall, he said it just became too unpleasant. Uh, it's like people who, you know, anti-Trumpists who some corners of Trumpism, they would just find too revolting, I guess. I'm speculating. But, uh, you know, he, he's not all that politically oriented he's he's you know he's more of an artist uh and uh he, he doesn't he doesn't make it his his business to think about these things the way you or i might by virtue of our vocation well that's interesting yeah yeah i think so um so we need we need the russian DeSantis to come forward and depose the russian trump um let me think about that it's not gonna happen um okay uh <laughs> i'm not sure i'm not sure i'm on board uh so what uh it's it's uh, it's interesting how quickly uh, the the Republicans are dropping their demand that with this debt ceiling thing, which the press is wildly overhyping, that it doesn't really come to a head till June. Yet half the articles in the press are about it now because mm -hmm. they see it as a way to tar the Republicans for being irresponsible and also for cutting Social Security. And the Republicans are coming to their senses pretty quickly and dropping the idea that they're going to use the debt ceiling to force cuts in Social Security. This guy Jim Banks, who I mentioned in the regular podcast, you know, first Trump, first Trump says, "You guys are crazy to do this. Don't don't touch entitlements. That's death." You're idiots. And then Jim Banks, uh, who's running for Senate in Indiana, said uh, we, sh we really should, should take it off the table for this debt negotiation. And I think McCarthy has sort of hinted that, too. So it's disappearing pretty quickly. So then the then the Democrats switch. Instead of saying you want to cut Social Security, they say you're echoing the Trump line that you shouldn't cut Social Security. Mm -hmm. So they, they have them, you know, coming both ways. Uh, but uh, it is the, uh, the press is sort of disappointed because it's cut us interrupt us. The Republicans aren't playing their designated role as we want to cut grandma's pension. Uh, and that leaves them with not a whole lot to say. What's weird? I mean, doesn't everyone like have close friends and relatives who are deeply grateful for Social Security? I, I kind of just don't almost don't understand how how any politician, given how obviously not necessarily popular it's going to be to cut Social Security, really gets behind it. I mean, well, they, 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 there is a, you know, a rational reason to get behind it, which is it's going broke. On the other hand, it will still pay out 77 percent or so of its benefits. Uh, and many people are thinking, well, that's obviously what's going to happen. It's just going to go broke and it'll there's your cut. It'll cut 23 percent of the benefits. Um but uh, you could rationally say there's a more rational, there's a better way to do it, which is to gradually increase the retirement age. And, you know, and you have people like Charlie Peters and on down through the years, Bruce Babbitt. It was the conventional wisdom at some point that you could means test it and save a whole bunch of money, which, which I agree with. The way to, the way to um, you know, the way to solve the Social Security and Medicare insolvency problem is, is by imposing a, a very carefully constructed means test that leaves enough people in the system so that they are, there's enough allegiance to the system. Uh, but I think it can be done. And uh, so you could be a, you could be a sincere good government type and before it. Uh, and it wouldn't, you know, the, the people who depend on it. Who... Okay, so I've been reading this book on uh, Robert Moses. It's called the the Power Broker, and so he he built a lot of parks in New York City, but we had some problems. So they, they had he made these beautiful parks, and then drunks would uh, 
creep into the parks, fall asleep, and then they'd be discovered by children the next morning sleeping in their own vomit. So the tunnel segments of these parks had to be removed. Drunks would wander into the stripped guardhouse play booths during the day and urinate in them. Uh, perverts used them as hiding places from which they could watch the playing little girls and boys at close range and masturbate. Vandals pried loose the light lumber out of which the play booths were constructed. The play booths had to be removed. Then the drunks slept and the perverts hid in the trees and the shrubbery behind the benches. So this landscaping had to be removed. Still, drunks kept wandering into the playgrounds at night. Robert Moses tried to keep them out first by putting up bars between the bench and the groupings. Little gates at the playground entrance as a warning to stay out, but the drunks ignored the warnings. Finally, Robert Moses had no choice but to surround the playgrounds, now reduced to amenity-bare patches of asphalt with high fences whose high gates could be locked at night. Critics might rage at the playgrounds now it resembled animal cages, but uh, Moses saw that resemblance. There was nothing he could do about it. So thinking about the, the beautiful botanical gardens that I saw in Sydney's central business district, and it requires the cooperation of the populace, right? <laughs> it requires n not having a bunch of drunks and perverts hanging out there and masturbating. Like it just takes a few masturbators to, to ruin a perfectly good park. So this is one reason why I'm no fap. I, I don't want to frighten the ducks. Won't, won't anyone think of the of the bloody ducks? Who we're thinking of wouldn't be means, wouldn't be in the means test. They'll be uh they'll be still getting their full benefit. Uh so how soon could it happen that I mean this this is relevant to me. Uh, how soon could it happen that benefits get cut? Yeah, there's a new date that just came out. I think it was 2030. Does that make sense? Mm. Something like that. Um, That's far enough for me to know. It's called the Bob Wright line. It's when, when Bob Wright qualifies, they figure. Oh, I, now, I qualified. Now we're pulling the plug. Have you gotten the letter from them saying you Everything really should apply for now? Me. There's no reason for you not to apply. It's like. It's no, I've, like got, I've gotten letters just laying out the options. Yeah, no, there's more to come. There's um, It's like those Amazon things where it said, if you like the music of so and so, you might like Built to Spill. And then the next one says, you would really like Built to Spill. And they say, we strongly recommend Built to Spill. And then the next one says, buy Built to Spill, you fucker. <laughs> and like, and then you buy Built to Spill, and they're really pretty good. So This eventually... is about whether you choose to accept the benefits now or wait right. for them to be higher right. before they Right, right. And eventually, when it, they stop being higher, when you reach age 70, they, you get a letter that says, apply now, you idiot. <laughs> well, why, don't, why, don't just, why don't they just make it automatic at 70? Why do you have to do anything? The whole peak of the movie was Julia Roberts saying, fuck, okay? There's something sort of against her image that sweet Julia Roberts would say, fuck. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, it had real impact, but if everybody's saying "fuck," then it has no impact at all. It's like the word "moron." Now, it's it's um, it, it was always unacceptable to say the word "moron." So when you said the word "moron," it had real impact. Now, Nancy Pelosi is accused Kevin McCarthy of being a moron. Their headlines that use the word "moron." Uh, so, you know, the, the people that wanted to cancel "moron" have succeeded by uncanceling it because now nobody will want to use it because it's a cliche. Okay, it's geography destiny. So, a friend sent me a link to Financial Times article, and I just couldn't break through to be able to read it so i said because i couldn't break through i broke down i've just showed out 189 dollars for a one-year subscription to the financial times and in large part i did this to read the regular column by janan ganesh so this is the this is the most uh, popular popular elite columnist right now he is from sri lanka Right, it's a bi-weekly column for the Financial Times. And he's got a good one here on geography. 
So geography and genetics, that's how I would modify it. Geography and genetics are almost everything. Physical realities do more to shape the world than ideas, says Janet Ganesh. So according to the Geography is Destiny perspective, Russia must attack its Western neighbors because of its vulnerability due to the flatlands. Jing, Jing at the hinge of east-west traffic through the millennia will always be a trouble spot. So this denial of human agency seems like more of a religion than a science, but it's also a useful corrective for elites who too often err on the other side. So Britain in particular accords a prestige to the study of ideas that it doesn't to earthlier subjects. So one colleague of Theresa May, the former British Prime Minister, mocked her as a geographer. So rice has more calories than wheats per hectare. Now, how much of world history turns on just that? Even when it seems that ideas themselves are paramount, there might be a geographic accident involved. Would Germany have been less conflicted over the Enlightenment, more like Britain and Netherlands, if more of it were coastal? Did the relative lack of maritime contact with other countries slow its absorption of ideas? So recent years have shown us how much of life comes down not to human-generated ideas, but to immutable facts of nature. So I would add not just geography, but geography and genetics, a destiny, immutable facts of nature. Some countries have accessible deposits of fossil fuels. Some have the metals that go into chips. Some have long borders to be paranoid about. Some have more than others to lose from a heating globe. Some lack and crave warm water ports. Some vote for detachment from their continent, but find the geographic logic of trade hard to buck. Geography is almost everything. So the shipping delays of 2022 are a harrowing reminder of the importance of geography. So many intellectuals are telling us that, you know, have recently David Landy saying climate is under-discussed as an enricher or impoverisher of nations. Jared Diamond went down to the level of plant and animal life to explain the divergence of civilizations. Tim Marshall says war is almost inevitable in certain terrains, right? This is geographic determinism. Geographic determinists are obsessed with planes, right? Flat ground planes are said to instill a martial paranoia in their inhabitants by exposing them to ground invasion. So think Germany, which has no naturally defensible borders. Think Russia, once again, no naturally defensible borders. Is uh, Richard Spencer and company. This is the current Democratic Party. I agree. That's manipulative and dumb. Totally agree. But like, isn't there a kind of kernel of truth to it that the only new ideas that the left is producing at the moment are about individualistic sexuality? Yes. You know, it's I mean, just it's just kind of fucking lame at some level. Like the Soviet Union, someone came to the Soviet Union and said, I'm a transgender demisexual. They, they probably wouldn't even send you the gulag. They just laugh at you. Like we're, we're moving into the future and you're going to have to get in this car. And if you don't, you're going to be left behind because we have a teleological vision of where humanity as a whole needs to go. At this point, I, I, I agree with you that like liberals, not leftists, are probably better. That's why I voted for Joe Biden. I think they're better at just like sound governance and conservatives are nuts. But at the same time, the left isn't generating those ideas. Well, if I may resp- the left is generating individualistic yeah, I ideas. understand. And if I may respond before you bring Rocco on. Um, sure. I, 
I think that one problem that the left finds it in right now is that so many people feel like we're fighting for our, our survival. Like, just we feel like we feel under existential threat, particularly people in the queer community, um, particularly Jewish people, um, etc. And you can't you can't have the space in your own community. Okay, there's absolutely no objective basis to argue that Jews in America, the transgendered in America, homosexuals in America are fighting for their survival. I mean, that is the most absurd thing. It's a woman named Leah McElrath is making this absurd argument. Community to address sort of authoritarian or puritanical sort of tendencies that creep in. Um, if 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 you if you have to band together just to like say, hey, we exist, we, we get to live. And so in a sense, the right wing, by doing the kind of attacks that it does with the, you know, the liberals of TikTok or whatever, all that kind of bullshit, it's like they are effectively um, blocking um, the left from being able to sort of deal with the very um, kinds of dynamics that they criticize so much um, because it, it you know, you can't you can't have nuanced conversation if you're simply trying not to be exterminated. And there isn't a, an extent to which many people feel like that's a goal. I mean, it seems very clearly to be a goal to exterminate transgender people. Um, it, it, and and I'm not saying even kill. I'm saying but to you know reduce you know eliminate wow. access to medical care. And I'm not talking about kids. I'm talking about adults. I mean, that's happening now. So when you have these kind of things, it really it prevents um, discussion from from being more nuanced and development of future planning. It's when you when you live from crisis to crisis, it makes it very hard to think about the future. And I think the left is kind of in that position right now and has been since Trump got elected, at least. Um, that said, the left has always, I mean, I, I, I was like a child of hippies. So I've been on the left a long time. Um, the left has always had issues with there being some authoritarian tendencies in our own ranks. And um, and it's one reason I don't usually like identify as a leftist because I don't like a lot of leftists, even though my politics are very leftist, <laughs> because you know, that, that kind of rigidity is just a turnoff to me. Um, so it's not that I don't understand in, in, uh, some of the criticisms. It's that I think there's just sort of a um, just sort of a, a, a lack of, of, of depth of understanding on the right. About what Bell says, well, Luke, try eating meatless bugs. Rather not. Ground-up crickets will be used in all kinds of European Union food, says Zero Hedge. Pasta, anything with mixers. Oi. What that's all about. It's not about a lack of capacity on the left, necessarily. Um, and, and, but, but left and right aside, we really do need a vision for the future. I mean, we are at a turning point. The current economic system, you know, globalism and, and industrialization and extraction capitalism, it's not really working great. Am I saying abolish capitalism? I don't know what the answer is, but what's happening now is certain people have a high standard of living, but it's, it's, we can see the trajectories, right? I think everyone can see them. And I think it's the nervousness that we all feel that makes a lot of the energy from both sides feel um, elevated to a degree that is not necessarily always helpful. But I'll, I'll shut up now and let, let you bring some on. Yeah, well, if you're, all, if you're always playing like whack-a-mole or survival, if you're in survival mode, you're not going to build a house. You're going you're gonna, to like dig a pit exactly. and exactly. You know, survive the night. But, that, but that's not good, but that's kind of on you. Yeah, no, you I, I understand. All right, Rocco, you can respond. Hey, thanks, man. I just wanted to come back to this idea of... Um, uh, eating bugs and where you would <clears throat> where you would get that idea from. Um, so I, I just did a little bit of quick research on it, and um, you know it seems that you can go to quite a lot of different left wing um, outlets, and you can see articles advocating for eating bugs as being like the future of the human race. You know, um, we're gonna we're gonna eat the bugs. Um, and I think um, I think Mary Angela was uh, was saying that we need to do that to prevent climate change, right? I was saying, what about eating about climate change? She I, hasn't like, spoken yet. You, I, I, I haven't sorry, spoken. Sorry, it was Lee. It wasn't no, I'm not saying that eat bugs to prevent climate change. I'm saying climate change is going to bring on famine, more famine. And so I think, and I think there is a sort of desperate attempt to identify food sources that will not, um, you know, continue to contribute to the global warming that we're seeing, and which obviously um, power production uh, does in, in, in to a large extent. Um, but I mean, I like a steak, so I mean, I'm not going to go. Like, I'm, I'm, there are people already on the planet who eat insects and that's just part of their culture like again it's it you can find articles to defend almost any position i, I don't know a lot of leftists who are really excited about eating bugs i'm just gonna say that. don't you think we like as a planet we have like enough people i mean it's 
like I, I don't I know this sounds like exceedingly harsh, but like we've had this explosion of the population. Wow, we we got enough people. We we'd be better off with a few billion less. Uh, I mean, on what basis do you argue that we have too many people, Richard? Post-industrial revolution and fossil fuels, and that, so we've always kind of been living on borrowed time, and we've created a kind of like grotesque version. Living on a borrowed time, most trajectories for for the planet are getting better, not worse. And of humanity, we we we've, we've uh, made scientific advancements galore, but we've also created a kind of grotesque version of humanity of you know, people living in abject poverty, but also people, you know, 200 pounds overweight and, and living in obesity. Like, I, I don't, like the idea of like attempting to desperately save all this or attempting to like bring people into a bug-laden version of the American lifestyle. Like none of these things sound very attractive to me. And we don't need yeah. to just- Yeah, there, there are more things that are more important things than attractiveness, right? So uh, this, this, this relaxed way of talking about how it'd be better if a few billion people disappeared is breathtaking. Save this world, you know, like it, it might need to shatter and what's going to come out of it is going to be better. And like stronger people are going to be in charge. I mean, I, you'll probably well, hate that vision that I just expressed. Well, right now. Hang on a second though. I mean, like, so first of all, to, to Lee's point, you know, it is in the mainstream left-wing media and I, I've got a Guardian article I posted up there, you know, if we want to save the planet, the future of food is insects. So they actually want people to stop eating meat and start eating bugs instead because um, it emits less carbon dioxide, apparently. Um, I mean, is, is that an argument that you're endorsing, Lee, that like we, we need to stop eating meat and start eating bugs as a, a left-wing vision of the future? I'm not going to defend these articles. I agree that there is a push in the media to sort of normalize this. And um, I would encourage you to question where that's coming from in part, but um, you know, I think that eating less meat is, is helpful to everyone for a variety of reasons. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, I've said multiple times now that I'm insects, eating insects is not something that appeals to me in particular. If I went to a culture where it was part of their norm and um, a host offered me some fried crickets or whatever, I would eat them because I, that's the, that is the um, polite and, and respectful thing to do. But am I going to make half of my diet crickets? Um, no. Uh, but you know, would I automatically reject something made with cricket flour because it had it in it? I, you know, I can't say that I would. It wouldn't appeal to me, but who the hell knows? I mean, I didn't think we'd be eating you know, high fructose corn syrup and all these other things we eat now that are not actual foods yeah. right but i mean i guess the point i'm making is that you know this is like whether you like it or not i've got an article from the wef from the bbc from the guardian i can find another 15 or 20 of them if you like and it's not a fringe position they're not like so you're saying oh well if i went to a culture where they ate insects but no this is not what these articles are saying they're saying people in the west need to stop eating steak we need to shut down the methods of production for meat and replace them wholly, totally with insects. Rocco, Rocco, um, I have multiple times said that this is not a dialogue that I wish to engage with you on, and I want you to respect that boundary. If you would like to talk about eating insects and host a space in which you debate that and, and, and present the um, the opposition, feel free to do so. But I'm gonna I'm gonna back out now and let Richard have a space back. Uh, can I, can I say something here? Yeah, Lee, 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 I really appreciate you. Everything you said, spot on, spot on. And I I really encourage people, whether you like Joe Biden or you don't, this this whole notion about like what can we do about climate change. Joe Biden has an entire, I just looked at it. You can go to the website. You can go to the White House website. I mean, it's about like electric cars and getting, you know, solar and wind. And I mean, where's where, where this, where, I'm a leftist. I, my podcast is Left Left Media, a little plug there. I don't, I've never had any guests on my show and I've had everybody from every you know media outlet come on my show, sometimes talking about climate change. And I can assure you the bugs thing was never, has never been brought up. It's not like the thing we talk about. We talk about electric vehicles we talk about you know when are we gonna how fast is it gonna be where, where there's charging stations you know on every highway things like that i mean so no one's taking anybody's stoves no one's taking your meat your, your steaks away i'm a steak eater i just think that's and, and leah's correct that 
it's not just the economy or you know survival or climate change but it's also things like women's rights lgbtq rights and those things matter as well well i mean you may say with respect mary that nobody's coming for your meat but you're, you're, you're coming Is, are you really afraid that someone's no. coming for your meat Elliot, Elliot, um, it's, it's not a matter of being can... afraid it's just a fact okay elliot blatt let's see if we can hear you man Okay, it's probably on my end, so let me figure out. Oh, I know the problem. Okay. Okay, Elliot, try now. How about now? Can you hear me? Yep, yep, yep. Sorry, I, it was all my yeah. fault, bro. It's not four, you, it's me, but we're together. Four times the charm, man. Four times the charm. Okay. Athens makes the heart go fonder, my dude. Thanks, bro. What's going down? Oh, just, just... Feeling good, finally, man. It's been a rough couple of weeks, but now I can uh, I think I'm on the ascent. I'm on the move, Loke. I'm like Caesar, crossing the Rubicon. Excellent. Yeah. So welcome home, man. How are you feeling? Thank you. You feel, you feel, does this feel like home or does it always feel like home? They both feel like home. Yeah. But anywhere, anywhere I've got my 12 loyal viewers feels like home. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we, we we all know your name. We all know each other's name, and we're always uh, glad we came. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Oh, sorry about those cowboys, dude. Forty nine is a better team, bro. Were they? Yeah, I was listening on the radio. I didn't get to savor the uh, visual component, but. Another strange call. I didn't quite understand the dynamics, but whatever. doesn't matter. Um, yeah, it had no effect on me, actually. You know. Um, you, have, you, but... you didn't start bonding with your fellow members I of the Bay Area? I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. It just seemed like a strange, just a strange piece of data, you know? I, I, I had no emotional impact whatsoever. But except for the fact, save for the only that I got to get to razz you a little bit, but that was it, Luke. Okay. Uh, I, I, you know, I had to savor the, the notion that this might get under your skin and I get to, I get to take the piss as it were, but no, it had no effect on me. Okay. So how do you like affirmative action cops? You think that's a great idea? <laughs> Not good, my dude. Not good at all. Uh, you know, I was remarking in the chat uh, yesterday that this latest Memphis thing had no impact on me whatsoever. None. It, like, didn't even register. I just felt like this was a script that, you know, it's a movie we've already seen before dozens of times, and everyone's going to go through their very predictable rote motions, but nobody really cares. It's, uh, uh, it just, it, it just seems like the media is a machine that just sort of reacts to stimuli. And this is just a piece of stimuli that they get to, uh, behave, react in very predictable ways. And then things just move on. I've, I felt continue. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that if someone, He's out there committing crimes and then flees from the cops and resists arrest. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't feel bad about what happens to him. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I didn't watch all of the tape. I only heard the, the tape that you played on your show. 
And there must have been, what, two, three, four dozen times where the cops said, you know, stop resisting and all that kind of stuff. He had so many opportunities to end the issue, you know. Uh, I don't know. I, I hate to even get into the minutia of the case because it's just so it's just so trite and predictable and boring. And, uh, you know, when I got pulled over, I was listening to you. Paradoxically, the last time I got pulled over with a cop was like three years ago. <laughs> I, and I was texting a, a little, not texting, but I was replying to the, I was typing a, a chat, you know, I was typing into the chat and the cop pulled me over for, uh, you know, texting while driving, you know. And what did I do? I gave him a license registration. He wrote a ticket. And Ten minutes later, I was gone. You know, there, there, there's like, there's ways not to escalate, you know, and you can just simply not escalate. And instead of, but you could tell, like, watching the media coverage, they're just absolutely salivating. They're hoping for something to blow up. And they're like just throwing the gasoline on the fire, hoping it bursts into an absolute inferno so they get to report on it for weeks there just seems to be a you know a, a level of uh media complacency and cynicism that uh you know it's, well it's it'd be good to... for business if america went up in flames absolutely 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 and you can tell <laughs> between the lines they're kind of cheering for that you know they're doing yeah. everything they can to bring that about because um I don't know. The whole thing seems so cynical to me, and uh, from top to bottom. Uh, you know, after what, two years ago, George Floyd, wouldn't wouldn't the message, um, you know, you know, if, if the media were truly interested in in like healing or helping things along, there should be like a systematic discussion about how to behave when you're pulled over by a cop. You know, how to behave in the presence of police. You know, and why running from the police or why escalating violence against the police is really a losing proposition. But I don't recall any of that. Yeah, and I, I don't recall ever needing much education about how I should conduct myself with police. I just take it for granted the way I was raised is you treat everyone with respect, but you particularly treat you know people with power and with guns, you treat them particularly with respect. Yeah, and like, why now? It, it's just the, I mean, it's just jaw dropping. Like, why? Why does this message not get through, Luke? Why? I, I feel like I've known this all my life, like all of my life. I don't think there's ever a time where I thought, you know, escaping from the police or pushing back against the police or disobeying the police led to a good outcome of any kind. Well, did your parents sit you down and have the talk with you? <laughs> like a Barack Obama? <laughs> yeah. Well, not exactly, but similar. They had a similar talk, you know. You just, you just obey the police, you know. We have a system of law, and you obey the police, and then... We have a process. If you're thinking the wrong, you have a means to appeal. And life goes on. It's not this existential event that 
Now, excuse me. Uh, it's not this. Why is it that he behaved as though obeying the police was the last thing he could possibly do? Is that it was optional that if he didn't feel like it, he didn't need to do it? Yeah, like exactly. I'm <laughs> pulling over. No, I don't feel like being pulled over. I'm just going to, you know, rebel. I'm going to act out. I'm going to escape this somehow. Or was he high? I don't know any of the details because I've been so disinclined to even engage even the most superficial level. But was there some reason why he couldn't? Yeah, he didn't feel like it. Is it that simple? Or was I, I think so. Something? Really? Yeah. Because probably, my guess is that he had something in the car or something that he didn't want to be discovered or there was some sort of deeper reason why being arrested would have led to a, a, a truly bad outcome. I can't believe it's that simple that, you know, what was it, a minor traffic infraction? And, you know, why a $100 ticket had to be the end of his life, you know? Why he couldn't just take that lump. You take your lumps sometimes, Luke. Why that was impossible for him. So how do you like living in an affirmative action society, particularly when it comes to government work? Say any government agency is going to be disproportionately populated by affirmative action beneficiaries. Oh, it's thrilling, Luke. It's exciting. It gives, it gives, it gives, it, gives a, it injects like an air of mystery into life that was lacking before. Like, you know, in the old days, I just expected things to work more or less rationally. But now, now there's this exciting element of chance <laughs> thrown into the mix, you know? I love it, Luke. Couldn't be Affirmative better. action air traffic controllers. Isn't that a wonderful thought? <laughs> we cannot get a more affirmative action into that air traffic control tower, in my opinion. The more, the better. And... I don't know if you have any kind of managed care, but I have managed care at Kaiser. And so it's a thrill for me when I walk into an appointment, I realize the odds are about 85% that my doctor you know, benefited from affirmative action. Isn't that reassuring, Luke? Don't you put just like yeah. the, the stress just kind of drains through your feet, you know? It's kind of, oh, thank God, affirmative action's got my back. I experience that all the time, Luke. I'm tired of this merit, Luke. This oppressive merit. I can't take it anymore, Luke. It's oppressive. Sorry. And uh, what do you think about eating bugs? You ready to stop, start eating less meat, start eating more bugs? Well, I wish I could eat less meat. I, I, I would be down with being a vegetarian, you know, if I could. Um, but bugs, I don't think they're kosher, are they, dude? No. No, they seem to be ultimately unkosher or a kosher or non kosher or trife. Trafe? Trafe? Yes, trafe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems weird. It's weird to me. <laughs> hey, I've got an idea for a sitcom. So All right, let's have it. You you're a bloke who sees through conspiracy theories, but you're stuck at a synagogue lunch with someone who buys into all the conspiracy theories, such as flat earth, et cetera, et cetera. 
you desperately need a job, you end up taking a job with a conspiracy theorist. So the conspiracy theorist is employing you. He's paying you. He's got other employees. He's married. He's got kids. He's more successful at navigating reality than you are, but you absolutely despise him intellectually and morally and culturally. What do you think? Excellent premise. Now, one must ask, how close to reality is this for Luke? Oh, it's not close to reality for me, but uh, yeah. it's just uh, just an anecdote that I have enlarged upon. So, <clears throat> well, I think I have more sympathy for conspiracy theorists than you do. Um, so, what do you think about this whole Pfizer executive? Do you see that video? I I haven't seen it, but I know it's banned on YouTube, and I did plan to play Tucker Carlson's segment on it. Mm. Uh, and I know it's it's live on on Twitter, but he did not seem like. Am I allowed to say this? He did not seem like the highest IQ representative of Pfizer. Well, a it was ultra bizarre. It couldn't have been more. The video you must see. Okay, it's so oh, bizarre. Okay. Yeah, it is so bizarre that you must actually watch it, and so it presents two possibilities both of which are incredibly hard to believe, but there aren't, there's, it doesn't seem to be that there's a third option, right? So he, he I'll, I'll give you the, the, the synopsis and the synopsis is, is that he's this putative uh, executive. And I mean, high level executive, but he seems incredibly young to be such a high level executive at Pfizer. And, he was basically saying that they, uh, Pfizer was uh, working on mutating COVID so that it would expand the market for COVID vaccines. That was like a, this very uh, sort of monetary interest in um, perpetuating COVID so that the vaccines would be this ever-expanding market, right? That's... That's what he articulated. And then this is the view that, um, wow, what's his name? Um, Project Veritas. What's his name? Oh, no. James. Is it James? James O'Keefe. James O'Keefe. Yes. This is, this is the view James O'Keefe is putting forth, right? <clears throat> and then after this, the, the, the undercover journalist confronts him, right? Confronts him. And the guy spurs out like Alec Gandalf. Like he spurs out at a level that is hilarious to watch, right? He's basically, then he just basically went through this hysterical disavowal of everything he had just said in the previous, whatever, 10, 20 minutes, right? And that he was only saying all of this stuff to impress a date who was the James O'Keefe Project Veritas undercover journalist. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it is simply the most hysterical viewing. I, I watched it once. I simply couldn't believe it. I watched it again and I'm still agog. And then you add the layer of that YouTube won't allow it to be played, adds sort of like fuel to sort of the conspiracy layer. But this is the most sublime video you could ever simply watch. And then he like tries to steal the lap the 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 the, video, uh, the 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 iPad 
so the the journalist plays back the 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 the, the interview um, via the iPad, and then the guy steals the laptop from him out of his possession, locks the door, calls the cops on the journalist, and um, he starts blaming the journalist. Of being racist, starts blame, accusing the journalist as being racist. So he's some sort of, I would guess, Indian of some kind or another, maybe Filipino. Luke, you must watch it, and and you know, it is the weirdest thing on Earth, on planet Earth, right now. You must see this. Okay, I, I, I didn't do it justice in my in my recapitulation, but okay, it's sim- it's simply the strangest thing you'll ever see. Okay. I like James O'Keefe. I don't understand why he has such a uh, bad reputation. He seems to do nothing but do first-person journalism, journalism that gets to the truth. And what he seems to uncover seems to be so provocative that he earns the ire of a lot of people. But I, to me, I think he is the best journalist in America right now. Wow. That's okay. high praise. I know, bro. Okay. I, I've got to check this out. Yeah. Yeah, it is the weirdest video I ever seen. If you need a link, let me know and I'll send you a link. Okay, bro. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, no problem, my dude. Okay. So, um, so where are we? So, uh, so you reemerge. You re you reemerge. Your this is basically your first real day back in L.A. Now I got back in. Th- yeah, Thursday morning I got in, and yeah. then I had a solid night's sleep Thursday night, Friday, and then I was in bed for. 12 hours last night, probably eight plus hours of sleep. So now I'm really doing well. I'm thriving. Oh, this is funny. So several people tell me that I'm just like beaming in, in shore, like that I've just got this light and love about me, bro. And then several people said, why'd you come back to this SHIT hall? <laughs> Not well, the synagogue, you, Luke, but Los Angeles. To... Yeah, no, I haven't. <laughs> I have to ask you now, you know, your, your trip in LA seemed majestic and uh, it seemed healing and enriching in all types of layers. But don't you, do you, if you're like me, like two days in the row at the beach is enough for a long time. Like I, I get like a certain saturation level of beach and then I, I can go a long time without ever having to go to the beach again. And like it seemed to me that you were at the beach nearly every day of your um, mini sabbatical there. Um, do you ever tire of beach culture? Not really. I mean, I, I was spending three, four, five, six hours a day, you know, walking by the beach or swimming in the beach, hanging out at the beach. So, I mean, maybe if I was spending 12, 14 hours, that'd be too much. Yeah. 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 I'm just curious. I mean, it was nice scenery, but like, um, the sun, like, uh, I don't know, like day after day of completely blue sky. Do you find that a bit oppressive after a while? Oh, sure. After a while, but it wasn't like that in, in Sydney, there was, there was plenty of, you know, there was plenty of, uh, cloud and rain and, uh, there's there's all sorts of all sorts of variety. Okay, here's the question I have. So I know 
he went on and on about the lack of social tension in in Australia and how much you enjoyed it. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. But didn't a part of you miss the sort of edginess and the drama that goes on with having a society like LA that's got all this social tension? Uh, doesn't no. that doesn't no. that resistance like add a certain uh, like drama and excitement that just one placid day after another just kind of lulls you to sleep? Don't you like the fact that LA like, keeps you on your wits? No, I what people ask me why did I come back to LA and I, I answer because there are so many brilliant people I know in LA and I love you know talking to them that's my favorite thing in the world even more than going to the beach and being in a safe nice country but uh, now I, I don't miss the the drama or the discomfort and the crime but one thing I do appreciate about LA is I was walking around LA upon just getting back when you when you're away for three months and then you just come back it's like it's more exciting and, and your senses are more attuned. And one thing I do love about L.A., particularly like West L.A., is it smells really good. Yes! I'm glad you noticed that, Luke. Wherever I, like, come back to California after having been away, the first thing I realize when you get off the plane is that certain aroma that only California can produce. It's the eucalyptus and probably some other plants. There's a certain subtle fragrance that you get only in California. Is that what you're speaking of? Or is something yeah, else? yeah. It, it just smells <clears throat> great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, three cheers to the eucalyptus. Um, no, I agree with you. Like, uh, it, it's like refreshing and it's also, you know, for lack of a better word, there's like a mystical dimension to it. It's like you smell these fragrances and you think, oh, this is life at a higher level. Yeah. You know, this is like just a notch closer to the transcendent it's like and it's the gateway the smell is the gateway to the transcendent and it simply doesn't exist on the east coast um so i totally hear you and i don't so have you... a particularly keen sense of smell so that i mm. who doesn't have much of a sense of smell it probably has five ten percent of a normal sense of smell i I'm enthralled by how good it smells here. That's what, you yeah. know, jumped out at me. Yeah. And you only really notice it after having been away for a while because you yes. soon acclimatize to the smell. You don't even notice it until it's gone, you know? And then when you're gone and you're refreshed by it, it's like a, it's a, it's a revelation. Um, hey, did you notice that this LA feel different after all of that rain? Does it, does it, is it a certain, uh, uh, I'm not sure. Freshness? Maybe, yeah, yeah. I, maybe it's fresher and smells better. Yeah. But you don't know. Well, it's winter anyway, so things tend to be green in the winter. But uh, I notice it up here. I feel like uh, there's just sort of this richness and comfort uh, that comes through after just feeling the water and the ground and everything is just bursting through green and it's just the earth seems vibrant and alive and happy i don't know that's my sense now now i get a tremendous sense of energy from being by the beach when it's say crashing against cliffs 
right? The ocean crashing against rock and then the spray. To me, that's tremendously energizing. But it doesn't do uh, it for you. It's certainly fine with me, but, you know, I, I, I can only work with what I got, you know? Yeah. But, um, I personally like well-shaped waves, waves that have a certain contour to them. Oh, know? yeah, nice shapely wave. I yeah. mean, that's like undulating yeah. in the right places, and but not too much in other places, but just like proportionate, you know, kind yeah. of a 36, 24, 36 wave. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, bro? Yeah. Yeah. You know yeah. 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 So, uh, and then I like a full figured been... wave, you know, none of this skinny, you know, stuff, but I like a full figured wave, you know, a buxom you... wave none smashing me anxious, in my like, face with its buxom waveness. None of these little skeletal waves. Yeah. There's like anxiety in there. Yeah. Constant smoking. Yeah. No, no. I just like, I like a buxom full figured wave. Yeah. Me too, bro. Me too. Uh, so, the, yeah, the sun's out. I guess it's it's weird. Like, you get to eat the frosting. You didn't have to endure the, uh, the, the tribulations that were these four solid <laughs> weeks of weight. Yeah, I got to drink I got to drink drink the milk and I didn't have to buy the cow. <laughs> exactly. Couldn't have been well more well put. Um uh, so anyway, so you got that going for you. So uh so you're back in the grind, Luke, or you, uh, you know, you, you, you well, I haven't, I haven't returned to the grind yet. I've just been getting back my sea legs. Then, you know, I've got obligations to attend to starting next week. Okay. Okay. Are you looking forward to it? So I, I noticed when I've been off for a while and then I'm returning to work, I, I, I feel a certain zest. Like, yes, I, I want to start working again. I can't stand all of that leisure. I need to like work. I need to suffer. Yeah. Oh, how's the uh, nicotine gum working out for you? Well, it's a good, nice question to ask. Um, it's good when it's deployed for a purpose and not habitually. So, yeah, yeah. Um, when you need a little boost to get over the cliff, you know, you have to do a bunch of work and you're really not inclined to it. You can't find the energy, uh, like a half a stick of gum, or it's actually a cube of gum. Um, it, it really does work. It gives you that mental lift, uh, but too much of it will really mess with your sleep in a very unpleasant way. So if you struggle with insomnia, which I think you do, you know, it's certainly nothing I would toy with. But if it's threatening your livelihood, you can't perform your work tasks because you, you're too sluggish. It does work. It does deliver the goods and, and it doesn't harm your lungs, which is a concern of mine. So, uh, you know. Uh, it's something it's out there. It could help you. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't dissuade you from it. It would all depends on your needs. Okay. That's very moderate and commonsensical. So I thank you, Luke.
<laughs> so yeah, so uh, I I overdid it. Like I had a half a stick, of, half a half a stick, a half a cube of gum. I felt good, and the next day I just had to amp it up. I doubled the dose and had a full cube of gum, which is four milligrams of nicotine, and it, it was too much. Like I felt my un, my blood pressure increase to a really uh, you know unhealthy level, and my sleep was really messed up. So, um, but it's different than coffee. I just want to make it, make this point here. Coffee has a very specific effect. Nicotine has a similar, but different, but very different effect. And it's very hard to uh, articulate the difference between the two. Um, but for all intents and purposes, if you're trying to get work done, they basically function the same way. Okay, great. Uh, good to talk to you, Elliot. Anything else on your mind this evening? <laughs> Nothing else, Luke. I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll hang up and I'll I'll savor the remnants of these these difficult times post Memphis. Okay, great. Uh, so here's right. an article from Forbes. No, Project Veritas video doesn't prove Pfizer is mutating COVID nineteen. Who is Jordan Tristan? Walker. No, Project Veritas video doesn't prove Pfizer is mutating COVID-19. Who is Jordan Tristan Walker? By Bruce Wiley. Tucker Carlson has claimed on his Fox News show Tucker Carlson tonight that there's been a near-total media blackout of this story. But since there doesn't seem to be any type of memo circulating to journalists telling them to not cover this story, let's cover it now and see how much Veritas it really has. What's this story? That's supposedly the subject of a media blackout according to Carlson. Well, Carlson has also tweeted the following about it. Project Veritas just released an undercover video of a Pfizer executive bragging about how his company conducts Frankenstein science, manipulating COVID viruses for profit, and does it in secret, possibly in violation of federal law. Wow, a Pfizer exec bragging about Frankenstein science? That sounds like a monstrous revelation, doesn't it? But before Carlson's claim makes you sit bolt upright in your chair, keep in mind that this was Carlson who had said this. Yes, this was the Tucker Carlson whom John Oliver has called a superspreader of COVID-19 vaccine fears and doubts and a scrunch-faced fear baboon, as I covered on May 3, 2021, for Forbes. Now, to be fair, Carlson is not necessarily always scrunch-faced. He has also sported the, I'm concerned, the, what's you talking about, Willis, and the, I really have to go to the bathroom, facial expressions. But is there any truth to what Carlson has been claiming about this Project Veritas video or is it actually a hot air baboon situation? The video appeared to be an undercover video because the footage was rather grainy and filmed at a rather awkward angle. It looked like the type of video taken to prove that someone's significant other is doing more with the office manager than officeing and managing. This video featured someone described by Project Veritas as Jordan Tristan Walker, Pfizer Director of Research and Development, Strategic Operations and MRNA Scientific Planning, answering questions from an unidentified interviewer. So you could either take Project Veritas's or Carlson's words for it or search for this name on Google, Bing, or DuckDuckGo yourself. After all, someone with that kind of title should be fairly easy to find on the internet, right? Well. A Google search didn't really reveal any legitimate source that could verify the person's name and title. A search on LinkedIn doesn't reveal any such verifiable profile, 
just some accounts trying to spread his name. Some of these accounts are spelling the name slightly differently such as, Jordan Tristan Walker, or, Jordan Tristan Walker. Of note, a search for, Tristan, without the, H, did return an urban dictionary entry that described, Tristan, as, a very hot and cute boy who always wants to disagree. Who has the softest hair in the entire world? So if you are looking for someone hot, disagreeable, and really soft-haired, there is that. Okay, let's suspend disbelief for a second and assume that the video featured an actual Pfizer exec. Did it then really show what Carlson claimed? Hmm. Rather than one continuous piece of footage where you could see the real flow of the conversation, the video seemed more like a compilation of clips stitched together. That makes it difficult to tell whether a statement was taken out of context. For example, in the video, this so-called Walker guy explained, we're exploring, like, you know how the virus keeps mutating? Well, one of the things we're exploring is like, why don't we just mutate it ourselves, so we could focus on, create, preemptively develop new vaccines, right? That's a little vague. You can't tell for sure who, we, really is and whether he was talking about real plans or hypothetical ones. At another point in the video, the interviewer asked, okay, so, Pfizer ultimately is thinking about mutating COVID? To this the alleged Walker person responded, well that is not what we say to the public, no. That's why it was, it was a thought that came up in a meeting and we were like, why do we not? And elsewhere in the video, the interviewer queried, so, I mean, when is Pfizer going to implement the mutation of all these viruses? This prompted the following reply from the this is supposed to be Walker person. I don't know, it depends on how the experiments work out because this is just like, something we're trying, right? On his show, Carlson subsequently used such statements in the video to conclude, well, it sounds a lot like the gain-of-function research you read about, the research that was occurring at the Wuhan lab just before COVID broke out of the lab and overturned the world and wrecked the U.S. economy. Um, first of all, there is currently not enough evidence to say that COVID broke out of the lab, as Carlson did. The preponderance of scientific evidence so far has strongly suggested that the severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 2, SARS-CoV-2, had a natural origin, jumping from other animals to humans. So Carlson was really jumping to no real evidence to conclusions pretty quickly. Secondly, thinking and talking about a possibility is not the same as saying that something is actually being done. You can think about and talk everything that you are going to do with Jason Momoa, Emily Ratajkowski, or Tristan and his soft, soft hair but the chances of meeting any of them through Tinder may be pretty darn low. They have to actually be on Tinder. They have to swipe right and so do you. You have to chit-chat a little bit. You have to say things like, aside from being sexy, what do you do for a living, and, do you like raisins? How do you feel about a date? You know, there are a lot of steps between conceptual discussions and reality. Similarly, Without seeing the whole original unedited continuous footage of the Project Veritas video, you can't really tell whether there was any actual concrete discussion of Pfizer's plans or whether everything was more of a theoretical discussion. Can you say for sure that this Project Veritas video is fake or staged and that Jordan Tristan Walker is actually a crisis actor and that Tristan doesn't really has the softest hair in the world? No, not 100% at this moment. But the way that this video has been pushed has been highly questionable. Claiming that this was video showed, a Pfizer executive bragging about how his company conducts Frankenstein science, manipulating COVID viruses for profit, and does it in secret, 
possibly in violation of federal law, seems to be quite a leap. There's certainly no evidence of a, a near-total media blackout of this story. Unless by, a near-total, you mean, no real. Journalists don't tend to take anything that rings of censorship lightly. Look at how quickly journalists responded when Elon Musk suspended the Twitter accounts of several journalists after they reported on the at Elon Jet account that followed the travels of Musk's airplane or perhaps airplanes, as Bobby Allen reported for NPR. What then is the likelihood that a near-total media black... Okay, so there's some context. Let's get... Uh, Jordan some... Walker just described. So is... Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. How powerful exactly are the big pharmaceutical companies in this country? Well, that's a big question. There are a lot of ways to measure it, but here are a few ways you can measure it. In this country, big pharma can advertise its drugs directly to consumers. And that's a little strange if you think about it, since consumers don't prescribe drugs, doctors do. So why are the drugs being advertised directly to consumers? That's allowed in only one other country on the planet, but it's allowed here. So it may not surprise you that in this country... Okay, so why shouldn't pharmaceutical companies be allowed to advertise direct to consumers? And, you know, why should people not get a choice in the type of medications that they go on? Like, why should it simply be allowed to doctors to make these decisions for you? Country Drug companies spend more on lobbying the Congress than any other industry, a lot more than any other industry. And they don't do it by accident. They do it because it pays off. In a deal like this, a pretty remarkable deal the drug companies have worked out with politicians. So the government uses your tax dollars to buy billions worth of their products, and then in some cases forces you to use those products. Sometimes those products work, sometimes they don't work. In some cases, those products can injure you. But no matter what happens, there's nothing you can do about it. Because politicians have given these companies complete immunity. If their products hurt or kill you, you can't sue them. You're not even really allowed to complain about it. That's an incredible deal. Imagine if your company had struck a deal like that. Okay, pharmaceutical companies don't have complete immunity on, on all drugs. It was done for a particular emergency situation. With the Congress. You'd probably be a lot richer than you are. So that's power. But it pales in comparison to what we're seeing right now. If you really want to understand how powerful Big Pharma is... Consider the news that did not break today. The pro-transparency news organization, Project Veritas, just released an undercover video of a Pfizer executive bragging on camera about how his company... Okay, and without knowing anything, I'm going to side with the Forbes critique that uh, I suspect that this guy is not an important executive for Pfizer with regard to the production of pharmaceuticals. Just guessing here company conducts a kind of Frankenstein science, manipulating COVID viruses for profit, imperiling potentially the entire world, doing it in secret, possibly in violation of federal law. Okay. And again, I think this is Tucker being irresponsible and plain wrong. Bragging about this. So no matter what your politics are, doesn't matter who you voted for, that's a huge story. And you would think... It's a huge story if this guy really is an important executive at Pfizer. If he's a nobody, it's not a huge story. Every reporter in this country would be itching to follow up on it, calling Pfizer, telling the public about it. But no, that's not happening. 
In the 24 hours since Project Veritas posted this footage, it has been viewed more than 12 million times on Twitter. So the public is very interested. Why wouldn't they be? But the media are not. No okay, and you can put out pornography and get millions of views too. Just because a video received millions of views doesn't mean that it's true and doesn't mean that it's important. It just means that it's compelling. No other media outlet has covered the story at all. We checked. Well, I just looked it up, and this story has received a lot of news media coverage. SNBC and CNN, which perhaps not coincidentally take huge amounts of advertising dollars from Pfizer, those two channels have devoted a total of zero seconds to the story. We'll just go online and find out about it. Well, Google, the biggest search engine in the world, which has a monopoly on search in this country, appears to have gone out of its way to make it much more difficult for users to learn anything about the Pfizer executive pictured in the footage. And so there is, in other words, on television and in most places online, a near total media blackout of this story. How powerful is Big Pharma? That powerful. But we have the footage and we're going to show some of it to you tonight because we think we should. Now, that footage shows a Pfizer executive called Jordan Tristan Walker. He is, according to the documents Project Veritas posted, Pfizer's, quote, Director of Research and Development for Strategic Operations and mRNA Scientific Planning. That's a big job. Walker is very highly educated. And as we said, he's a high-ranking executive advisor. In fact, he's just... Okay, count me skeptical. Two reports removed from the CEO of Pfizer, Albert Borla. His name is Jordan Walker once again. Here he is. You know how the virus keeps mutating? Yeah. Well, one of the things we're exploring is, like, why don't we just mutate it ourselves so we can, we can create unsupply developed new vaccines, right? So we have to do that. If we're going to do that, though, there's a risk of, like, as you could imagine, no one wants to be having a pharma company mutating fucking viruses. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. we're like, do we want to do this? <laughs> so that's, like, one of the things we're considering. Okay. Like, the future, like, maybe we can, like, create new versions of the vaccines and things like that. Okay, so Pfizer ultimately is thinking about mutating COVID? Well, that is not what we say to the public. No. <laughs> Pfizer's thinking about mutating COVID? We're not going to say it to the public. We're quoting. One of the things we're exploring is, why don't we just mutate it ourselves so we can preemptively develop new vaccines? Now, what does that sound like? Does that sound familiar? Well, it sounds a lot like the gain-of-function research you read about, the research that was occurring at the Wuhan lab just before COVID broke out of the lab and overturned the world and wrecked the U.S. economy. That was the research that Tony Fauci lied about under oath. As The Intercept has reported, quote, scientists working under a 2014 NIH grant to the EcoHealth Alliance to study bat coronaviruses combined the genetic material from a parent coronavirus known as WIV1 with other viruses. Seven virologists told The Intercept that the research, quote, appears to meet NIH's criteria for gain-of-function research. In other words, it's exactly what it sounds like it is. So that also sounds like what Jordan Walker just described. So is Pfizer working on that right now? Well, in the clip you just saw, the Pfizer executive is careful to say it's not happening right now, but it is something that Pfizer is secretly considering without telling the public. But in another undercover video, also shot by Project Veritas, Walker suggests that research to mutate viruses is ongoing. They just don't dare call it gain of function. Watch. When is Pfizer going to implement the mutation of all these viruses? 
I don't know. It depends on how the experiments work out. Because this is just like something that's fine, right? It sounds like gain of function to me. I don't know. It's a little bit different. I think it's different. It's like this. It's definitely not gain of function. It sounds like it is. I mean, it's okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. Directed evolution is very different. <laughs> Direct evolution? Directed evolution. Directed evolution. Okay. <laughs> well, so, I mean, is that what it is? Maybe. I, I, <laughs> I don't know. Well, you're not supposed to do gain of function research with the viruses. Like, yeah. They run them off. But you do, like, these, like, selected directional mutations to try to see if you can make more potent. Yeah. So there, there is research I'm going about that. I don't know how that's going to work. There might not be any more outbreaks, just like Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's not gain of function. Oh, no, it's directed evolution. So if you're wondering how Tony Fauci was allowed to lie under oath and get away with it, the FBI did not raid his house. He was never handcuffed. Maybe it's because he used a different term for the same thing. At Pfizer, apparently, they're just calling it directed evolution. Problem solved. And again, we want to remind you what we just heard, and we're quoting the Pfizer executive. You're not supposed to do gain-of-function research with the viruses. We'd rather not, but we do these selected structure mutations to make them more potent. There is research ongoing about that. Oh, wow. To make the virus more potent? You don't think COVID is potent enough? Killed millions of people. Well, Walker went on to say that Pfizer is trying to keep this research hidden from the rest of us. Watch. Um, tell me more, like, what's developing with the whole, you know, virus mutation process? Well, they're still kind of conducting the experiments on it, but uh, it seems like from what I've heard, they're kind of optimizing it, but they're going slow because everyone's very cautious. Like, you know, right. that was the one that kind of accelerated too much. Yeah. Um, but I think they're also just trying to do it as an exploratory thing because you obviously don't want to advertise that you're trying to figure out future mutation. Yeah, you do They're still kind of conducting experiments on it. You just don't want to advertise that you're figuring out future mutations. Figuring out future mutations. Sounds like they're causing future mutations. Now, it's obvious why this man seems a little uncomfortable at what the company he works for is doing because the plan he describes, and we can't verify it's happening, we can only show you what its executive said, that plan could very easily cause a new pandemic and kill millions of people. And by the way, that's why gain-of-function research was banned until 2017 when Tony Fauci helped restart it. And the result was, of course, COVID. So if that happened again and anyone could trace it to Pfizer, that would destroy the company, if not the world. So Walker, in this tape, made it very clear that Pfizer is worried about a repeat of the COVID lab leak. Wait a second. We're all agreeing there was a COVID lab leak? Yeah, Pfizer's never said that in public, that the COVID strain started in the Wuhan Institute of Virology in China, where this kind of research was occurring, but apparently everyone just knows that's true. Watch. You have to be like very controlled to make sure that this virus that you mutate doesn't create something like, you know, it goes everywhere. Something crazy. But it's the way that the virus started in Wuhan. To be honest, like it's, it makes no sense that this virus popped out of nowhere. Like, yeah, I know. So we just went through this three years ago this month. And there was a global pandemic as a result that, again, killed millions of people and destroyed entire countries. It really hurt ours. So why would you even think about doing something like that on purpose once again? Why would you conduct this kind of research when everybody knows the consequences? Well, again, we can't say for sure. We can only tell you what Jordan Walker said. And, of course, the point is to make money. 
Isn't that the, like the best business model though? Like just control nature before nature even happens itself, right? Yeah, yeah. If it works. <laughs> what do you mean if it works? Because like some of the times like we're just mutations that pop up, right? We're not prepared for it, like with Delta or Omicron right. and things like that. So who knows? I mean, either way, it's going to be a cash cow. COVID will probably be a cash cow for us for a while going forward. Like, yeah. I obviously like <laughs> Well, I think the whole, you know, I think the whole, like, research of the viruses and mutating it, like, would be the ultimate, like, cash cow. Yeah. It would be perfect. Now, a couple things to notice about that exchange. One, Walker thought this through. This is not just off the top of his head. He's not stupid, and he's clearly thought through the potential consequences of this research. But he also is honest enough to admit that it could be a cash cow. And then he says, and he laughs as he says it, COVID's been a cash cow for us. So imagine two pharma executives meeting in a bar and want to say, how can we get kids to smoke more cigarettes? Because, you know, cancer is a cash cow for us. People would recoil in horror. And by the way, regulators would be on this. Where are the regulators? You can't just come up with a drug, claim it works, get the government to enforce people's requirement to take it. You have to go through regulators. Where are they? Why aren't they regulating a company like Pfizer? Could it be that regulatory capture is real? We don't have to guess anymore because Jordan Walker explains it for us. Watch this. Okay. Okay. Door for all government officials. Wow. Yeah, for any industry though. So like in the pharma industry, all the government uh, officials who like you know review our drugs, once yeah. they come work for pharma companies. Like the military, like all the like army and defense, like government officials eventually go work for the defense companies afterwards. Yeah. How do you feel about that revolving door? Like it's pretty good for the industry to be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's bad for everyone else in America. Why is it bad for everybody else? Because if the regulators who have to approve our drugs know that once they stop being regulated, they want to come work for the you work for Pfizer. My question for you is why does Pfizer want to hide from the public the fact that they're mutating the COVID viruses? Is this real life? I'm literally a liar. I was trying to impress a person on a date by lying. Uh, this please, is please, absurd. Please don't touch me. Well, this is not. Why the way? Why don't are you doing don't this? tell anybody. So that was the end of it. James O'Keefe of Project Veritas shows up and informs Walker he's been recorded and he's clearly upset. And of course, you can understand why he's shocked. He didn't know anyone was filming. Someone was. But what's so interesting is he his first excuse is I was lying. When in fact, he has explained in a very sophisticated and very believable way how Washington works. We just promise to hire the regulators and then they don't really regulate us. What you see happening in the defense industry with generals from the Pentagon happens in pharma, too. The regulators hope to get rich working here. And that's true. And no executive at a pharma company has ever been filmed saying that on camera before. That's not a lie. That's the truest thing ever spoken in Washington, D.C. And then the situation begins to degrade. So Walker who is supposed to be a highly credentialed man of science, a clear-thinking scientist, completely loses control of himself. He becomes hysterical and violent. At one point, he calls the police to complain there are too many white people in his presence and he feels unsafe. And then, of course, he becomes violent again. Stop hitting me, he says, as he punches you in the face, of course. 
It's a remarkable scene. Here's part of it. You want to put me in jail for asking you a question? Yes, sir. What is the intention of calling the police? They have like no intention right now. We have several Can I talk to you, please, about this video? Okay, so there's one, two, three, four, five white people. Why would you bring race into this? Please bring the cops. This is my father. Please, please unlock the door. Why do you want to stop? Please unlock. Please unlock the door. Please unlock the door. 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 This is this is remarkable here. Thank you. Thank you. We're trying to get unlock the door. Unlock the door. Unlock the door. Unlock the door. Wow. Well, that didn't go well. That man doesn't seem like a bunch of a scientist. On the one hand, you can kind of feel for him. On the other hand... Okay, let's go to uh, Fox News here. ...on the ground and put his hands behind his back. He did that. A few moments later, you see Nichols get up and run. They tase him. He takes off his shirt, runs away. When officers do catch up to him, they restrain him on the ground. Multiple officers repeatedly punch him and pepper spray him. At one point, you see an officer walk up and kick Nichols in the head at least two times. The officers then proceed to basically pass him around, again, punching him in the face, striking him with a baton over and over again before he collapses, later dragged and propped up against a police car. doesn't look conscious to me. It's given no medical attention, even though there was medical uh, experts there. Nichols would die a few days later in the hospital. He was 29 years old with no criminal record. So far, the reaction to this video has been outrageous, but it has, has been an outrage, but has not been outrageous. People in Memphis and across the country are protesting, but there is no widespread violence. But fear of it does remain. An almost universal agreement that this is unacceptable. Now, the five officers, well, they're black. They're all members of an elite unit that requires specific qualifications and training. The Scorpion Unit, it's an acronym. It's a, it's a unit that's been inactive now since Nichols has passed away on January 5th. The police officers have been fired, charged with second-degree murder. All are out in bail except one. They will face trial. They will face punishment, and eventually, if they're found guilty, and eventually tell their side of the story. But for now, we're all set to wonder how in the world this could happen. I wonder what role affirmative action played here. I'm going to run. Take care. Bye-bye.